Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are we doing? We're doing great, Scott. How are we doing? You uh, doing? How <laughs> is your half of the we doing? Wonderful. Just hot, 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 hot. Even though uh, we were outside walking in the garden, picking some more green beans this morning, the humidity was uh, uh, stifling, as they say. It builds really fast. I mean, it, even here, it starts off pretty cool, but it builds really fast. So got up this morning with 77, felt like 77. Yes. By two hours later, it was 85, felt like 93, feels okay. like 93. So, Well, let me throw some numbers at you. Uh, this summer, okay. we're up to seven green beans grown. By next summer, I'll have a have enough for a full pot. I'm hoping. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. It's so, so maybe your garden's a little shaded. I don't know. What is it? Uh, I think it's all about the gardener. But uh, anyway, uh, I today... know you're doing your best. <laughs> hey, look, these are supply chain problems, Scott. Uh, no kidding. And we have to confess these. By the way, I don't know if you've heard. There's going to be a huge shortage of beef because of the grain shortages and the price of feed and all of that sort of thing. So we should expect to be seeing that for the next year or two. Okay. So as if steak wasn't expensive enough, now might be the time to go vegetarian or at least chicken. <laughs> well, uh, that's good to know. It I'm, is good, isn't it? I appreciate it? you dropping that on our global audience here today. But hey, speaking of information you can use, today we're going to be sharing, Greg, interesting research focused on what working capital strategies that business leaders are using in this highly disrupted world of global supply chain. All that goes without being said, right? Uh, disruption I mean, here, disruption I mean. there, around every corner. Greg, are you ready for today's conversation? Uh, I, I believe that I am. Uh, there's a lot of academic stuff here, but fortunately, Dr. Swink has distilled it down for folks like me. So yeah, yeah, I feel ready. I feel ready. I didn't do my homework, just like when I was in college, but no, yeah, I'm ready. Well, stay tuned. Dr. Morgan Swink is just one of our great guests here. We're going to be bringing on in just a minute. Uh, we're also joined with our wonderful friends and repeat guests uh, from Esker. So stay tuned. Yeah. But hey, folks, we got a great panel, but we also want to hear from you too. So please share your take throughout the next hour or so via the comments, the skyboxes, the cheap seats, all terms of endearment. And we're going to share and work as many of those comments into the conversation as we can. So with that said, Greg, let's say hello to a few yes, folks. Scott. Of course, our production team, our world-class production team, Catherine, Amanda, Clay, Chantel, you name it, are here with us. Really appreciate all they do to help make production happen. Glormar is back with us. She was on the webinar yesterday. Uh, good morning from a very warm California uh, via LinkedIn. Glormar, great to have you. Mark Preston. We got to get Mark Preston on a future show. 104 degrees, Greg. I know so. Wow. Man, Mark's... Find some shade and stay there, Mark, but hope you and your family or are water. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew tuned in from LinkedIn. Hey, let us know where you're tuned in from. We'd love to make, you know, kind of connect the dots on where our listeners are tuned in from. Claire from Ann Arbor, Michigan via LinkedIn. Ever been to Ann Arbor, uh, Greg? Are you kidding? Of course. Yeah. The home <laughs> of University of Michigan. Go blue. That is right. That is right. I have uh, spent many days that I don't remember in the parking lot outside of stadium. <laughs> well, Claire, great to have you as well. Maybe we'll get to some of Greg's stories there on a future episode. Hey, Dave, great to see you here via LinkedIn uh, from Texas. And uh, Dave, I hope we can share this news with you, but you've got uh, you've got some big keynotes coming up between now and the end of the year. So safe travels there. And it's great to meet you earlier today. Yes, we'll be selling tickets after the show. <laughs> That's right. Master Sergeant Jeremy During. I think I've got that right. Greetings from Kansas. Oh my Kansas. gosh, he's even in Kansas. Greg, we got to connect the dots here, huh? Heck yeah. Uh, so let's see if he's out. Probably not in Junction City, but wonder if he ever served in Junction City. We'll find out. Uh, and Station to all of our listeners, 
Jeremy and Glorimar both are veterans that are in, you know, part of their transition journeys, getting into the private sector, looking for roles in global supply chain. Probably you can learn mm -hmm. more, make sure you connect with them. And, and if you, if you hopefully are one of the wonderful organizations that put an emphasis on hiring veterans, reach out and make that connection. Okay. So Greg, with no further ado, I want to, we got so much to get into today. Looking forward to learning a ton here. I want to introduce our panel and then we're going to bring them into the stream. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. So as Greg already let the cat out of the bag, we do have Dr. Morgan Swink uh, rejoining us here today, a repeat guest. He, he's executive director. In case you didn't read our promotional materials. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. I guess the cat's already out of the bag. But Dr. Swink is ex the executive director for the Center for Supply Chain Innovation at Texas Christian University. He's joined here today with another repeat guest, Dan Reeve, U.S. Director of Sales and Business Development with Esker, and his colleague, Nick Carpenter, uh, business development manager with Esker. Let's let's bring them on in. Hey, hey, Morgan. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Doing great. Good to see great, you. Great to see you as well. And uh, Dan, how you doing? All good. Yeah, all good. Thanks. Good to see you again. And Nick in Wisconsin. How you doing, Nick? Doing well. Good to be here from Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks for having me. That is right. Go all Wisconsin sports teams. We'll save that for yeah. another day. So, Greg. Welcome aboard, everybody. Yeah. Greg, do you happen to know? As we, we want to start with kind of a fun warm-up question. Greg, do you happen to know whose birthday it is today? I do. Am I supposed to say at this point? or <laughs> Please, go right ahead. <laughs> Hulk Hogan. The one and yeah, only. Of course. Hulk and you know, If we're talking about wrestling champions, you got Ric Flair, who probably, you know, most people's list would be number one. And then you got Hulk Hogan. I'll let y'all fight over who is better. But nevertheless, you can't argue with how larger of a life character that uh, the Hulkster was. So where I want to start yeah. with, go around the horn here, is I want to, you know, your favorite larger than life character, whether it was as uh, as a kid or someone you love these days. So Morgan, you're going to be the lead off hitter today. Your thoughts? All right. Well, I'm going to stay in the sports realm. And uh, as a kid, of course, growing up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, I was a huge Cowboys fan. Back when the Cowboys still had some integrity as well as talent. Uh, leave that for another conversation. But uh, Jerry Roger, Jones, Staubach, yeah. Roger Staubach loved him. You know, I mean, he, he was awesome on the field, off the field, wonderful person, you know, great community. Yeah, he still is uh, today, but uh, I love to watch him, uh, watch him play. And he's got a great backstory, you know, came out of the Naval Academy. And he's just a really great guy. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, huge. Roger Starbuck, speaking of huge, Jeremy says Andre the Giant. <laughs> there uh, you go. No, all the that is actually physically larger than life, not right. metaphorically, right? Right. Okay, Nick, you're, who's larger than life that you've always been tracking? I was thinking about it. I'm, I'm going to stick in the wrestling arena, if you will. Um, I think I love watching the UFC, and I think there's plenty of good show business guys in there that, that we could point to. Okay. I'll, I'll just say the UFC in general. All right, UFC. Are you going to be a UFC participant, yet? <laughs> Nick? You look kind of built there. I don't think so. No, not this year. <laughs> All right. So, Dan Reeve. Dan, great to see you back. Uh, I know you're traveling once again, mover and shaker. All right. So, Dan, who is your larger than life character? I'll probably go for the. Uh, okay, I'll go Captain Dale Die. So, if you've seen Platoon, if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, if you've seen many many of his movies, he's a former vet. Uh, or he's a former Marine. He's got two Purple Hearts. Who's wounded the two tours of Vietnam, mm. and he trains actors to to play the role of soldiers and Marines and airmen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, I bumped into him in a bar. We had a three-hour conversation. He punched me in the leg when I told him I wasn't going to have children. I now have two beautiful children because uh, we, we sat down. <laughs> so that's how it happens. Basically, we sat down for three hours talking about life and our, our joint military experience and what we like to do in life. And he told me that life's what you give, not what you get. And I was making a mistake. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, he, he's he's been a he, he's and he stayed in touch. So what what a great what a great guy. And he gave me the kick I needed when I needed it. Love that, Dan. Appreciate you sharing that. Greg, I'm coming to you next, but really quick. Uh, welcome into Juan. Uh, greetings from Lima, Peru via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Juan. Looking forward to your perspective. Our dear friend, Tony Sharota with Reverse Logistics Associations in the house. I bet he's on the road as well. And Clay, who goes by diesel because the motor's always running, uh, is with us as well. Clay, great to see you. Okay, Greg, you're the cleanup hitter today. One larger than life character you're a big fan of. 
I, uh, this is going to sound weird, and it's also not going to be very popular with Juan Luis or my family back home in Argentina, Henry Kissinger, who was, when I was just a little kid, was a huge, he was the Secretary of State of the U.S. and and has done a lot of things since. The only living member of the cabinet from the Richard Nixon days and Gerald Ford days. So, but he was just huge. He was everywhere all at once. He was in China. He negotiated the end of Vietnam. He did the Paris Peace Accord, you know, the Paris Peace Accord for Vietnam and a number of other things, some of which, again, didn't age well, but mm. still was, uh, you know, always in the limelight. I was like a six year old kid when he became Secretary of State and still I knew who he was. Wow. Man. You start with Hulk Hogan, you never know where we're going to end up with, right? So, Greg, Morgan, Nick, and Dan, thank you for sharing, and uh, happy birthday to uh, the Hulkster. Okay, so where I want to go here today, we've got a ton of stuff to get through, uh, and Morgan, I'm going to start with you. I want to dive into the central topic today, You know, the interesting survey data that we've worked together to, to gather, and then, of course, uh, uh, team here has analyzed that over the last couple of months. So, so where are we starting uh, here today? Well, we uh, at TCU, uh, myself and a few colleagues have been really interested in kind of what's going on in the working capital world, how companies are strategically applying working capital to address a lot of the supply chain challenges that uh, obviously we've seen through the last couple of years, but also how that, how that affects partners, uh, customers and, and suppliers. And so we were just thrilled to get the chance to work with Esker on this project to try to dig a little deeper into what's been going on in the last couple of years and, and try to understand, you know, where folks are coming from, how much of the change is actually intentional, how much of it is just super reactive, right. to what's going on. Yeah. And, and for those that are, do have intentional strategies, what are some of the priorities that they have? So that's kind of where we're trying to get to with the survey. Just to give a little level setting here, background, a couple of really Greg would probably think these are very academic. Uh, and by the way, Greg, there is a quiz at the end here. So, uh, oh, great. But here's what we've got here. That's okay. I'll figure out a way out of it. <laughs> very quickly. Is uh, So we're looking at a bunch of industries. These are all manufacturing industries. And what I've plotted here is the inventory level relative to the same period in 2019. So prior to COVID. So if you're looking at the first set of lines there, uh, 2020 Q1, that would be the, the percentage difference in days of inventory. So we're scaling everything by sales, right? Relative to the same quarter in 2019. And as you can see, you know, a lot of uh, industries saw huge upticks in inventory in Q1, Q2 of 2020. Those top lines there are leather goods, petroleum and coal, furniture, cars, apparel, you know, all the kinds of things that you might expect demand just kind of dropped uh, right. rapidly. And so inventory spiked up. Interestingly, on the bottom side, that bottom blue line, kind of blue aqua line, the one that goes into negative territory in uh, Q3 is, uh, anybody want to guess? Any guesses? High demand. High demand. What? Any guesses, Greg, Nick, or yeah. Dan? Got to be a vice of some sort, right? <laughs> well, it's actually miscellaneous manufacturing, which is... Games, toys, uh, sporting goods. Uh, if any of you tried to order golf clubs in that time period, like I did, you know, you couldn't get them. <laughs> so we had you know, electronics is also down there. So all the kind of things you've heard about that everybody started to soak up, you know, during the, the pandemic, they all saw mm. big drops in, in inventory. And I'll just make one more quick comment and then uh, we'll move on to cash because I know we got to get moving here. But that line, that blue line is a perfect illustration of the of the bullwhip effect, what I would call it, because they went negative in inventory, lots of demand. And if you plot them all out to the end of the year, they're actually at about 20 percent above 2019 level in inventory. So they all ordered stuff and then demand kind of leveled out. And so now they're sitting on a lot of inventory. And those mm. the other ones, uh, you know, cars, medical instruments, furniture, they're all in the plus category a lot of that sitting around right now waiting to be sold so that's right. what inventory looks like cash is an even crazier picture uh, and i had to cut the top line because some of these are so crazy but uh and again a lot of this was just reactive uh to what's happened some of the big folks who are who are, went up into you know twice as much cash as they had in 2019 were apparel textiles building materials uh, saw a lot of growth in cash and at the end of the year 
the average company, that big black line is the median, not the average, the median. Median manufacturing firm now is sitting on about 30% more cash than they were at the same time in 2019. So the bottom line is everybody's been through a lot of volatility and we're all risk averse and there's tons of, of cash and in some cases, lots of inventory that people are still sitting on because they just don't know what, what's going to happen next. That's my interpretation of that. Yep. So given all that volatility, we decided to, uh, as we said, get into a survey to kind of drill down into some of these questions about how people are, are managing working capital. Uh, and the survey really quickly is we got about 140 uh, uh, respondents from all sizes of industries, a good mix there, and also, uh, uh, sorry, all sizes of companies, and a pretty good mixture across industry. We've got about 14 industries represented in the survey. So the first question we asked was, you know, given all that's going on, what still remains kind of your, your number one thing that keeps you awake at night? Uh, and we asked them to, to rank these different possible challenges or concerns, top to bottom. So what you see here is the percentage of people who said, you know, overall inflation is the number one thing we're worried about right now. About 25% of people said that. And about 60% of people put that in the top three. So the blue line is the top, you know, made it into the top three. So you can just see the difference. Uh, inflation, constraints, disruptions is still really important in a lot of people's minds. Down at the very bottom is uh, is taxes and regulatory constraints. So that's that's kind of how that shook out. Yep. So let's pause there and, and we'll bring the visuals back. But uh, uh, Dan, I'll start with you. You know, based on what the, the first part of the survey data and, and some of the other uh, data that Morgan shared, what comes to mind for you, Dan? Totally makes sense. Uh, in the last three weeks, I've met leaders within, um, you know, C-level leaders at tool manufacturers, food production companies, printing, global printing companies. And they've all said pretty much within 16 to 18 months, they said, we think we're going to have continued supply chain disruptions and therefore cash is king. And we need to make sure that we were prepared for the just in case. So the the, the points that Morgan mentioned seem uh, bang on, especially folks preparing for what comes next. Right. Okay. What comes next? Are we all sitting on the edge of our chair in, in some ways, uh, kidding and non-kidding in, in some, to some degree? Nick, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think Dan's, Dan's right. I mean, we're, we're seeing this from the angle of companies paying attention to their procure-to-pay cycles, the cash going out the door uh, to help fuel the business, and then you know their order-to-cash cycles, the cash coming into the business and how they're engaging with customers. And I think you know we're hearing... You know, the value of a dollar today is going to be worth less in the future. So it's important for us to pay attention to our AR processes. I think we're hearing, you know, folks focusing on their order management because they don't know if demand's going to go off a cliff or drastically increase and they're going to be stocking out. So once you throw some supply chain disruptions in there too, I think that's where we're seeing a focus on those two main processes. Yep. If we if we go back to the procure to pay piece, I think what we're seeing is folks, you know, we said they want to have more cash available. Sometimes it's because the suppliers out there now are expect to be paid upfront in cash. Mm-hmm. Or increasingly companies need to bring on more suppliers, have more diversity because it's harder to get raw materials or get goods produced and finished. Well, the problem is if you don't pay those suppliers quickly on time because you don't have cash flow available to do so, you might be at the back of the queue. That's right. And right. if you're at the back of the queue, your customer suffers. So we're seeing increasingly companies have to bring on more suppliers and you've got to do your due diligence and be careful with that. They need to do it quickly, but they can't bring on bad actors who might expose risk to their brand. And there's definitely that, that growth where folks are saying, okay, during the last reset, the Great Recession, there was this trend of, okay, we want to see companies, Wall Street wanted to see companies with, uh, extend terms, yep. sitting on cash. Well, I think that's continuing to some extent and at the same time well how do you turn to your supplier and say okay good news we're going to go from 30 days to 90. well you know the reality is this is where i think companies are having to engage in things like supply chain finance or or early payment discounts say if you do come forward and and if we do extend you your terms there's an alternative we could pay you quicker even three four times quicker than we do today you know in in return for a small discount so i think Companies are starting to sort of, you know, the, the supply chain and then the treasury are starting to look into these things. Well said, Dan. Okay, Greg, now that you, we've heard from Morgan, the research data and some of his observations and what Nick and Dan are seeing out in the industry, what comes to mind for you, Greg? I think the immediate thing that comes to mind is that a lot of what we've thought 
for a long time is really confirmed by this study. And that is, we don't know where inflation is going. Again, it went up by eight and a half percent over last year, last month, not zero, as has been reported. It went up by eight and a half percent, including eggs, which just to get this is the one item that I'm tracking personally, which are up 38 percent over last year. So um, and I think we, Scott, because we and probably many of us in this is this panel knew that inflation was going to continue to increase because of the number one concern in this study, which is supply chain disruptions. Right. And we don't know the cost of those things because transportation was disrupted. Supply was disrupted. Demand has been disrupted, as you know, as Morgan, as you said, um, we can't predict the consumer right now. And um, that has left many companies high and dry target Walmart and Kohl's notably with mm. patio furniture, which by the way, I'm taking full advantage of <laughs> patio furniture is a bargain right now. Yeah. So, and I don't know if that counts as furniture, by the way, Dr. Swink, <laughs> or if that falls into the miscellaneous bucket, nonetheless, <laughs> it's a huge amount of overstock. But anyway, I think that the fact that supply chain disruptions remain the biggest concern and also I believe, and I think many others do believe the biggest impact on inflation that what Dan and Nick are talking about in terms of finance is going to become more and more important. The pressure to be profitable is reflected in what's going on in the stock market. And for companies to do that in, in I dare not say recessionary times, ah, oh, hell, recessionary times, <laughs> you have to hoard cash, mm. right? You have to hoard cash. And that's what companies are gonna, gonna try to do because you have to be agile in times when all of this unpredictability exists, but also, of course, as demand fades. Well, all right. A lot of good stuff there. I appreciate everyone weighing in. We're get, we've got two more segments of survey to get to, as well as some resources at the end. Uh, really quick, talking about miscellaneous. Uh, Jeremy says, I didn't know all my interests were classified as miscellaneous. My wife's <laughs> going to be thrilled. I love that, Jeremy. And Mike says, and you can see Mike. We're using factoring companies more than ever over the past 12 to 18 months. That is uh, great to hear. Uh, Anar, great to see you. And finally, Juan says, in Peru, one of our constraints is political uncertainty. Uh, yeah, that's true. Again, yeah. I mean, after several years of dis- of stability there, sad. It is. State of it is. Uh, wishing you all, you and your family, all the best, uh, Juan. Okay. So Morgan, let's get back to uh, kind of the working capital aspect of some of these survey results. Please take it away. Yeah, sure. So just to comment on the cash real quick before we move in, and we'll get into this a little bit, but a good question is, well, how are they raising cash? Are they cutting expenses? Are they slow paying suppliers, which we talked about a little bit is a lot of pros and cons to that, uh, many cons. Are they increasing short-term debt? You know, we'll try to talk about that a little bit. This question is just saying point blank, we've seen a lot of volatility as was displayed earlier in working capital levels you know how's this happening is this something that's intentional is it something you're managing directly or is it something that's just kind of happening because of market forces and you can see in the results here it's a a mix here but most of it's unplanned about 25 to 30 percent of folks would say yeah we've been we've been intentional about managing cash and and receivables inventory and and payables but a lot of people are just saying now this is just stuff that's happening it's just happening to us so there's an opportunity there, it looks like, uh, to yep. try to improve. All right. So in terms of those who, who are you know, trying to manage their working capital levels, what were their motivations? What were your key motivations? And we asked them to, to select all of that applied, right? So about 33% indicated that it's buffering, it's demand uncertainty, and then a, a comparable number supply uncertainty. So again, to the message that we talked about already, it's that uncertainty on both sides of, of the house that's driving things. Interestingly, a good number, almost the same number, 33%, said to support suppliers. But as I think Greg mentioned, and we've seen in some other studies here at TCU, there's been a pretty strong 20-year trend toward lengthening payables from 30 to 60. And Dan said that's 60, 90 days. And that's continuing. Even through the COVID, even through COVID that has continued. Hopefully, there's some, some spots where that's not happening so much. And I think the factoring uh, that was mentioned earlier is, is coming to play to try to help that. But so the rest of them here uh, are, are just some of the top motivations. But you can see uncertainty is really the, the key thing that's driving everything. 
That's right. Okay, we'll bring the visuals back in just a minute. A couple of quick questions. Uh, Michael Williams, great to have you here today. First time tuning in via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're viewing from. We'd love to make uh, connect the dots there. Christoph is is uh, shouting Greg's theme, and everyone else is maybe Cash is King every time. And then finally, Tony Schroeder, how disruptive is the sex $761 billion floating in the USA returns to working capital for retailers? Are they planning for 25% returns and refunds? Good questions there, Tony. Okay, so Dan, I'll come to you next. Talking about these some of the working capital findings from the survey that Morgan has walked us through. Your thoughts, Dan? Well, I think we talked about the payable side. The receivable side is, is, is a big focus too. I think there's this big trend in trying to remove friction for the customer. One, to retain the customer, and you need, need that too if you're going to grow your revenues. But also, I think removing the friction, allowing the customer to pay online, allowing the customer to view their status, it, it, it all, all part of accelerating that cash collection cycle. And I think where you can give the customer more credit Folks are looking for automatic and, and, and insights. These guys deserve more credit. Let them have it. These guys are risky now. You didn't realize that, but something changed in their in their part of the industry. Okay, you might need to tighten that up. Mm. But what, what I'm hearing from receivables and finance leaders is we want to uh, accelerate the process of collecting our revenue, be it through uh, automatic reminders, making it easy for folks to pay through auto pay, et cetera. And the other point, I think, your, the gentleman on LinkedIn hinted at this, you know, reverse uh, logistics, fixing issues. So if somebody short pays you, if you're a manufacturer and somebody short pays you, well, you might not discover that until the, the you know, the, that cash comes in hmm. and you quickly need to sort of find out, okay, is it reasonable? Can we investigate it? Do we have to go to a portal and find out the, the information? Have we got the bill of lading? That, that, in the, in the recent times, I think the bill of lading has become this golden document that allows you to see what really happened. Right. Did we did we deliver? Did we damage the goods? Is there a problem on our end? Is there a problem on their end? So I think there's mm. this this drive to be able to uh, get all this information and quickly challenge the deduction if it's not fair and reasonable. Or, okay, it is fair and reasonable. We agree to it, and we need to improve our processes so we're not, we're not leaking money. So I think there's a big focus on on cash collection. And you're seeing for the first time, in my opinion, in recent years, both payables and receivables are interested in the technology and, and, and innovation. They're, they're talking to one another. You know, once upon a time, they're two two different departments in the same building, you know, and what do you do? Oh, well, nice to meet you. But now, now they're talking and they're collaborating. We're bringing people together. I love right. that, Dan. All right, so Nick, weigh in here. Yeah, Dan hit on it. I'm I'm gonna share just a real world story. Uh, Fortune 100 food manufacturer, and they came to us asking for some of the things that that Dan had just mentioned. And of course, our answer is is why, right? What are you guys looking to do? And optimize working capital, shrink our open AR, because some of that uncertainty that folks had reported on that Morgan shared on is kind of linking into some of their shareholders. And they're seeing their large open AR balance as potentially a risk. You know, are mm. you doing business with customers that are a little bit risky. If so, that that may impact our, our feelings on, on if we invest in you. And for them, there was a benefit in also bringing in that cash because they're in a highly commoditized space. For them, it was a way to grow through acquisitions, get into new product lines and kind of differentiate themselves in the market. So a lot going on there, but that's the story that, that kind of came to mind from, from my side. Risky business, not just a wonderful movie from the 1980s, right, Greg? <laughs> Your thoughts? Not just, also a potential philosophy on uh, business, mm. right? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to say. Anyway, I, I think one of the great tools for for affecting working cap capital is not really available right now because of all of this disruption and mystery in the supply chain, because you can't cut inventories yet, and except for the obvious mistakes like patio furniture. You can't cut inventory yet because nobody knows where demand is going. It's a fatal flaw of how we manage supply chain generally, but it's not something we're going to fix overnight, being able to forecast the consumer instead of postcast the products. So, so that takes a very important tool out of the toolkit of so many companies, distributors in particular, but retailers and, and even manufacturers, because in distribution, 100% of distribution companies, their largest asset is their inventory. And that's largely true 
uh, if not the largest, than real estate is for for retailers. And then manufacturers have been also hoarding their own products in stock uh, because of this demand volatility. So with that being the case and with demand shifting such an incredible risk, you really have to look in another place than you would have looked in the past prior to 2020. Yep. Well said there, Greg. All right. I'm coming back to you in just a second, Morgan, as we continue into the third segment. But uh, Michael Williams, Memphis, Tennessee, home of uh, Charlie Virgo's Rendezvous Barbecue, uh, famous uh, joint there. So, Michael, thanks for being here. Emmanuel, tuned in from Nigeria via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Uh, hope you can weigh in. And I believe this is uh, Khalid. The past couple of years have taught me that a lot of components involved in producing a certain product can be substituted with a component from a different industry. Some understand that. Some still don't. Excellent comment there, uh, Khalid. Okay, so <laughs> sharing all kinds of supply chain learnings. All right, so Dr. Swink, let's get back to the survey. In particular, the survey that kind of focused on uh, what improvements that business leaders and organizations are doing. Yeah, so first we just ask a general question. So if you look at uh, three processes, procure to pay, order cash, and the order management, the kind of front-end order management process, how much improvement have you actually made? And uh, this is kind of your typical bell curve or normal distribution. Greg, that will be on the quiz. <laughs> you know, about half the folks say- One well, of the few make... things that I know. <laughs> Thank you. About 30% of the people say we've made some real progress. A good 30, 45% say that, moderate. And then there's the, the, the 30% to say, no, we haven't really done very much. So interestingly, there's not much difference across the processes. I, I would have expected maybe, you know, a lot more- improvement and procure to pay, but that's kind of more where I live my life. So that's where I expected it to see, to see it. But yeah, pretty similar uh, levels of progress in each. I mean, my big takeaway here is that uh, there's a good 35, 40% of people out there who aren't, aren't really doing much. So there's a lot of opportunity. A lot of great same old, same old, right, yeah. Morgan? Yeah. So what tactics have you used to improve working capital? Those of you who, who are making some difference. And there's a pretty interesting pattern here. I won't go through all of these bullet points, but the top two are human resources, training, or, or dedicated personnel. So they're, they're very internal uh, human resource focused. And in many ways, I, I would say, I don't know if it's easy, but it's it's internal. It's You have total control over that. It's It doesn't require any external partnerships. So it makes sense that people would kind of attack that first, I guess. The next grouping there is systems, right? Inventory system, order management, procure to pay, invoice. What's surprising to me there is the the small number, the small percentage that are actually currently using these kinds of systems. I, I thought these were fairly well deployed everywhere, but but we do have a good number of small companies, you know, 500 and less employees in the sample. And I'm guessing those are the ones who haven't made as much progress. Then you got, uh, let me just say one more thing about yeah. the, the that slide. The, the bottom four there are what I think a lot of us are hearing about and talking about a lot. And they're all the analytics and digital you know, types of processes. Cloud, you see cloud-based processes, the lowest one there. Only about 40% of people are currently using those. So again, big opportunity yeah. here. Interesting to me, at least, that, that we haven't seen more progress. A lot of people say, yeah, we're planning to use that, but uh, they are the lowest in terms of current adoption. Yep. That is a lot of surprising um, yeah. uh, data there. Okay, yeah. this next one. Yeah, so this one's not so surprising. Uh, the number one motivation or outcomes they're seeking uh, in improvement uh, efforts is cost, cost and efficiency, and then accuracy and error reduction, number one and two. So those are easy to measure kinds of outcomes and, and driving a lot of the behavior there. Interestingly, I, I was surprised at this one. Staff retention or job satisfaction, you know, rose to the kind of number three position here. So that's good to see that people are thinking about that. The rest of these, you can, you can read through them, uh, just improvements in multiple dimensions. Uh, I was encouraged to see that, uh, you know, a lot of people check many different outcomes here and uh, even aiding with talent recruitment. I'm, I, I didn't, you know, that was one of the Esker folks' uh, suggestions to put that in the survey. It actually gets some attention. It looks like mm -hmm. at least 30, almost 30% of people say, yep, that's one of the things we're trying to do. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right. We're getting through a lot of data, a lot of 
uh, aspects of you know leadership, business leadership. Dan, I'll come back to you uh, based on kind of the the improvements segment of the survey and the day that Morgan just walked us through. Your thoughts? Yeah, thank you. Um, that slide was really good. Uh, side benefit: one of the things I've heard from supply chain leaders, customer service leaders. I'll give you a layer. They're part of Abbott Labs as an example. Years ago, they said, "Hey, you know the, the unexpected benefit of this project." two things. One is now we have time to train our people and they appreciate that. We can talk about career development. And two, we've shown the organization as a whole that we can do digital transformation. So suddenly more people are coming forward with ideas and to, to innovate. So I think I'm not surprised about where, where um, staff retention came up because what we're seeing is folks are realizing, a lot of senior leaders are realizing there's an opportunity to improve processes and, and deploy technology and, and be more efficient. And if you don't, your folks are not going to stay. It's hard to find people right now. We know there's big labor shortages. It's very hard to retain people. Training folks in, in, in your manufacturing organization, if you've got a couple of ERPs or systems of record that you use, you just can't bring people on and have them stay for three months. You know, So it's hard to get people. And if you bring them in to do the old work, it's manual, it's boring, and it's frustrating. You don't empower them to go and enjoy the work and actually serve the supplier, serve the customer, make a difference, through things like supply chain finance or, or taking care of the, the supplier, the customer, folks leave. So retaining folks and keeping folks and, and, and make them enjoy their work, not making them, but right. putting the conditions in so they enjoy their work. You know, um, it's a bit like the old adage, morale will improve up or the beatings will continue. That was that was on the wall when I went through basic training. And you're, you're like, right, thanks for that. <laughs> But, you know, basically putting folks are really paying attention to technology, not just for efficiency, but also for retention. And they realize it has a wider, a wider impact. Yep. Invest in your people, give them tools, you know, help them make their jobs easier and help them find new aspects of more rewarding work part of their role. So a lot of good stuff there, Dan. Nick. Yeah, was at a customer experience conference uh, earlier this year, and they talked about if we're trying to get our employees to improve the customer experience and be that that shining light with our customers, we've got to remove the administrative burden from their day-to-day. They can't play air traffic controller with seven different monitors looking at the ERP system, the CRM system, their email, maybe uh, transportation management system. And I think one of the things that jumped out to me from Morgan's research was how he said, you know, a lot of companies are early in this journey or not maybe using some of this technology. And I think what we see with some large companies that have grown through acquisitions is they've got multiple sources of truth. Working with one packaging company right now, I think they got 47 different ERP systems. They're trying to centralize on Dynamics 365, but that's a multi-year journey, right? So how many different panes of glass are they are they looking through to try and make decisions? So I think that's one challenge, certainly an area where cloud-based systems can help, but one one barrier to making change. Yeah. Well said, Nick. All right. So Greg, I bet you're, chomping you're itching. At the bit. Yeah. Chomping at the bit. Thank yeah, you, Greg. That, that you're reading my mind. Chomping at the bit. What's your, what's your thoughts here? Well, I think it's interesting. You can tell the timing of, of this research, which is really fresh because, um, and yet the tide is turning rapidly, right? But you can tell People are very sensitive to being able to get and retain personnel just about the time we're going to see an inversion towards layoffs and, and, and that sort of thing, again, as the economy slows. But that doesn't change the argument if you think about it. The current generations, as they come into the workforce, they expect an app-like experience from their technologies. They don't want seven screens. They sure as hell don't want 47 ERPs. Most of them don't even know or care what an ERP is. They just want to focus on the solution to the business problem that they are charged with, right? And frankly, they shouldn't care. So whether you're trying to bring people in and retain them, right, or you're going to have to downsize your organization, as many companies already are, you need that automation. You need a more frictionless experience. You need something that is more simple and targeted on the task at hand. So that either people who demand that out of their jobs, Gen Zs and millennials, right, of course, or the fewer people that you have can do more work with with fewer hands. So either way, you have to dial up the technology in order to get, keep or or take it or take the place of human capital. Well said. And and to that, as Morgan pointed out, there's a lot of folks kind of doing the same thing, right? 
not taking anything away from how hard they're working, but they're doing the same thing. They're not looking for ways to improve uh, whether they're employee experience or customer experience or the technologies that they're leveraging. So it can be a deadly decision to make. We've had a lot of that discussion, haven't we? I mean, where we all have grand intentions of automating or, or, or adding technology or, or systemic solutions to our, to our business, but we don't. Everybody right. in a, you know, everybody says they're going to, and we've had this discussion many, many times, Morgan, they very often don't follow through on that. And the, you know, what's stunning about that as somebody who has sold technology in the past and what, and understands the benefit that it can bring of any kind is that the benefit is so apparent. Yeah. And yet I think the pain for too many companies is not sufficient enough, but it's about to be. Well, that's why. There are companies like Esker that are doing really well, right? Because folks are getting it. They're getting it. They're leaning in. They're engaging with the experts. And we'll touch on that in a second. Hey, to our panel, we're ahead of schedule. What in the world? We're ahead of schedule. Uh, so here's a little heads up. How is up. that possible? How is that possible? We're I'm gonna we're gonna share we're gonna share a couple of resources with uh, our audience here in just a second. But be prepared. I want to get each of your one key takeaway from the whole conversation from the survey. One key takeaway before we wrap up here today. Um, okay. So you're going to make Morgan take the quiz also. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Turning the tables. Uh, yeah, and by the way, I like it. <laughs> frictionless. That is one of my favorite new words, uh, along with orchestration. That just conjures up some powerful images, I believe. So thank you, uh, Greg, and the rest of y'all that use those. Okay. So let's share a couple of uh, resources. We were just talking about Esker. We've been fortunate to have Dan and Nick and the team join us uh, a couple of times before. So let's make sure folks know how to connect. So Dan and Nick, Dan, let's start with you. Beyond email, how can folks reach out and uh, connect with you, compare notes, and check out some of the resources that Esker brings to the table? Yeah, email or, or contact contact me through esker.com. Yeah. Or you okay. can find me on LinkedIn as well, naturally. Just Dan Reeves and Dan. It's not like the NFL Hall of Fame coach. No, it's not Dan no, Reeves. No. It's Dan Reeves. This is important. We need to clarify this because, especially as I live clo close to the, uh, the, you know, the Broncos Stadium, and they've been in the news a lot recently for new quarterbacks, and they stole a fairly important individual from the Packers organization. <laughs> I'm a little bit bitter about. As you can tell, I'm married to a Packer family, and I'm a Packer fan. So you know, let's get that out there. Oh, gosh. All right. Sports coming up next here at, at Station 9. Uh, but, uh, Nick, how can folks connect with you and, and all the good things you're up to? Yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn's a great way. We've got some really good content out there as well. I want to do a special shout out for that Transforming the DNA of the Customer Service Team ebook because a lot of the companies we're working with, customer services reporting up through supply chain, and they're that first layer of contact for a lot of supply chain processes. One that's really hot right now that we're seeing a ton of companies dealing with is this huge uptick in where's my order? Everyone with the supply chain disruptions, uh, people asking, what's the status of my order? And it's it's now counterintuitive because it's placing more work on the companies to try and keep up with this volume that they're not able to focus and, and proactively communicate. So um, that's a great resource uh, if, if that's relevant to you. Well, if Thank you're talking you, Nick. about if Nick, if we're talking about order to cash, I think we've seen a lot. Well, we've heard from a lot of supply chain leaders in that building material space. And you know, when we had the big freeze in Texas and petrochemical plants were out, they were saying, "Look, it's a nightmare because we can't get the plastic gutters made, or we can't get the the um, the rainwater um, downspouts, etc." So there was there was a lot of I think they've been through the, the ringer this year. The building materials folks, you know, ironically, because huge demand for housing huge amounts of building um, and then what the supply chain leaders who often as you said customer service teams report up through supply chain it seems eight out of ten times mm. nowadays to me there's obviously been that shift in the, over the last few years but what they've said is well okay if taking an order is three steps out of 30 you, right you credit check take the order place the order make sure we've got the right products maybe substitute the products if need be but then there seems to be this huge amount of expectation in terms of just like when you place order on Uber Eats, Greg, and I know you've done it. You know we've all we've all done it. And you place the order, and you, you you're like, "Where's my order?" You track the guy. Where, you're tracking or, it. Or the lady. Turn like, my turn. Where's my food? You know, have I got? I've got three minutes. To, have I got time to get 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 that shower and get dressed and be ready when they turn up? You know. So anyway, I think there's there's that sort of demand, and we see it dramatically over the last two years. I want the customer service expect 
I want the customer service that I get as a consumer in business. I want to be able to track my product. When we, when, when you, when I place that order with you, not only do I want you to say, yeah, I got your order. I want constant feeds to say, tailored to my business as to when mm. will I get the order? Give me an advanced shipping note. Tell me how you're going to pay me. I find a lot of organizations are really trying to custom their communication back to the, con the consumer at the right. moment. And so back to, you know, hey, you've got folks in customer service of three steps out of 30 is, 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 is receiving the order. They're trying to free up their folks to remove the friction because there's all these other things they've got to do. And right. the building material leaders said, man, my folks, the minute the order comes in, they're scrambling. Where can I get product from? Uh, how can I get ahead of my competition to, to get the material so we can even do the job on site and, do, and right. supply the builder? So the amount of pressure has grown, gone up. And yeah. I, I think that's part of that order to cash cycle as well as, okay, companies are under pressure to, to improve working capital. Well, you know, if you want to get paid, you've got to take care of the customer. And that means right. you've got to get hold of the materials, you've got to pay the suppliers so that you do get the materials. But there's a big, big rush there and a lot of pressure on that customer service team, I think. And maybe doing business the way that they want to be business to be done. Meaning I think we're hearing from a lot of our customers that their largest, most strategic customers yep. want to do business on their portal, on their Ariba mm -hmm. platform, mm -hmm. on their Coupa platform. Mm -hmm. and, and that frictionless being easy to do business with on how they prefer may help you downstream, you know, lower your cost to serve, improve your DSO yep. simply just by meeting them kind of where they prefer. There's a lot of work there right now, isn't there? A lot of companies are having, if, if you send out an AR invoice, yeah. you don't just send out an AR invoice anymore. It has to be tailored to the customer and it has to be put up into these portals. And what we hear from folks is the, the, the leaders say, that's the new manual. Right. That is slowing down our AR collections because it's a huge amount of work to go so, interact with those portals. So going back to your earlier comments, you know, David Bowie, gone too soon. But man, if Global Supply Chain had a house band, it would be David Bowie and Queen singing Under Pressure. Right. It's one of my son's favorite songs of all time. Ton of pressure. But the key thing here, going back back to points everyone's making, but especially Greg, you made it, is what are you doing to alleviate that pressure, especially on your team members? Right. Given your customers, your suppliers, the same degree of visibility that um, that we to, to use Dan's uh, uh, analogy, we as, as consumers uh, expect these days you know, with the Uber Eats um, analogy. So let's do this, though. We got one more thing to share. Dr. Swink, love your good work you're doing. Enjoyed interviewing some of uh, what we call the now generation. Outstanding students matric matriculating, I can never say that word, through the Texas Christian University Supply Chain Program, highly regarded. How can folks connect with you and your team? Yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, like everybody. And then you can also reach me at m.swink at tcu.edu. Pretty easy to remember, hopefully. And then check out our website if you just go to Neely dot edu uh, you can you can check out all kinds of neatly things uh, there we have six different centers actually uh, supply chain is one of the centers but uh, go to our webpage underneath that header and you can see we've got lots of events going on case competition business tech camp you know seminars webinars like this that we do so please uh, check us out and if you're interested in engaging with us let me know Wonderful. Appreciate all of that and, and loved your perspective here today. I've enjoyed your appearances here at Supply Chain Now. All right. So, Greg, quick, you know, Nick and Dan were just, um, we were getting bonus content and perspective. I loved it. I feel like I might be leaving with a certification, even better. Greg, based on what you heard there at the ladder, and we're going to touch on the tours, the escrow tours in just a second. But, Greg, kind of, kind of, what'd you hear there that folks that really should latch on to? Well, um, <laughs> it's, well, it's, I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? I, I mean, I think, look, you have to take uh, your fate in your own hands at this point. And, and if that is improving your processes or improving your systems or improving your customer relations, your supplier relations or your employee relations, which it's probably all of those things, you need to do that. Scott, I got to tell you, I was um dan as you were talking about these portals of course we at supply chain now work with gigantic companies all the time who have these portals and i'll put it tact tactfully for once <laughs> it is burdensome for yeah. the vendor supplier what service provider whatever you want to call it because with this company you use coupa with that company you use xyz whatever right and and everybody has a a, a little bit different portal and i think 
that that as you said that's the new manual right it's manual in both ways both <laughs> it's the guidelines for how you engage with a with a customer but it's also very manual and believe me we hear it from our controllers and our accounting people all the time um, it's very uh, manually burdensome to get started in these things and i think that you know some of what we've talked about here these enablement tools that you guys provide and are talking about I think those are hugely helpful yep. because once you've gone through that painstaking process to get on board as a supplier, then you really want it to pay off for you in terms of pace of play and, you know, an ease of use. So yep. I think it's important to understand that you have to, somebody in the comments said, I think it was Jeremy said, you need to treat your customers the way you treat your employees, I think you likewise need to do that with your suppliers because we are all completely relying on one another. That has been displayed in greater measure than ever. And particularly an issue in supply chain now is there's nowhere for us to hide. It used to be that nobody knew what supply chain did. Nobody talked to you at cocktail parties. Right. You know, they would kind of walk away whenever you said supply chain or get that blank stare in their eyes. But now everyone's an expert or at least aware and thinks they're an expert. And so there's nowhere to hide. We got the exposure that we wanted. And so we have to live up to that expectation. And that expectation for most people is compared to a consumer experience, yep. not a B2B experience. And the more consumerific, ooh, there you go, Scott. You're, you're not the only one who makes up words. The more consumerific or appified that we can make those those business processes, I think the better. And to be able to, one, know where our stuff is, but for the suppliers, where my bucks are, right? <laughs> that's going to be a big question for, you know, uh, as we as we progress here. Well said. Well said. <clears throat> really quick, Shelly Phillips, who is a dynamo. Uh, y'all have to get connected, Dan. She also lives near the Broncos Stadium, so y'all have to get together and, and, and chit-chat football and global supply chain. Okay, fast and furious finish here today. Um, we're going to get everybody here. We're going to get their final takeaway in just a second. But, hey, let's touch on this other resource that caught our attention, Esker Tours. I love this notion. Uh, but, Nick, give us a little more insight into what can, folks can expect. Hey, last time we did this was 2019, pre-pandemic. This is an in-person event being hosted in Chicago. So if this is a relevant conversation to you, you're in the Chicago area or want to be in the Chicago area, um, this is a great event. It's a roundtable type event with supply chain, customer service, finance leaders focused on how order to cash process improvement, leveraging technology, implementing change management can really help give uh, a competitive edge. So this is really good stuff. I'm so excited. We've got some consultants. We've got some leading uh, Fortune 500 manufacturers that'll be there. It's it's going to be a dynamite event. So subtle plug, not so subtle plug for, uh, for this event. <laughs> Hey, check it out. Thursday, October 20th in the wonderful, beautiful city of Chicago, Illinois, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Central Time. And uh, we're going to drop the link to that as well. Tony says, I've seen that blank stare Greg mentioned many times when I say reverse logistics. That's an excellent point there. We try to hear at Supply Chain now. We try to shed a lot of big old flashlight on the wide world, important world. But, but as Tony calls it, the dark side, because folks don't know as nearly as much about it, of reverse logistics and returns management. Okay. So we're gonna go around the horn here, right before we wrap. We've got folks, we've got contact information. We dropped links in the chat. We've, we've covered how you can connect with Dan, Nick, and uh, Dr. Swink. Please do so. Check out the uh, the, the event, Esker Tours, as well as those resources at esker.com forward slash resources, I believe. All right, so Dr. Swink, let's get your, if folks listen to one thing as we wrap up here, they yeah. listen just to one thing, what is that, Morgan? Sure, yeah, so at TCU, uh, we brand ourselves as kind of an end-to-end -end supply chain program. So I think I'm really biased. I see everything that way. But the thing that jumped out of me from the conversation, as much as the, the uh, results of the surveys, we've got to manage this whole thing as an end-to-end -end process. And I, in the past, I've always thought, oh, of course, you know, get, got your order to cash and procure to pay and everything in, the, in between. Uh, and those 30 steps that Dan mentioned. And there's a lot of input output and all that has to be transactionally managed end-to-end. -end. But what I'm seeing more from the discussion today is it's, it's actually strategically needs to be managed in the end, too. I'd never thought about the fact that AP affects AR, I mean, indirectly. 
how well you get stuff from suppliers and then are able to serve customers is they're going to affect their willingness, you know, to pay you. So, I mean, maybe that's obvious to most folks in business, but that idea that uh, you need a team that's going to not just manage the transactional uh, input output relationships, but think about outcomes, think about strategies for managing working capital across those three processes or multiple processes. That's a, I really, I think that's an important takeaway. Thank you so much, Dr. Swink. And big thanks to you and Dave and, and the whole team, JJ, congrats to him on what's next. Uh, the whole team for doing Thank an you. excellent job on the survey as always. Nick Carpenter, I learned something new. You're uh, not a Rust fan. What's the, uh, what was the league you mentioned? UFC. Yeah, that's right. UFC learned yeah. something new about you, but what's, one, we'll talk about, we'll talk shop out uh, UFC later, but what is one key takeaway folks got to remember? I, I'm going to echo Morgan's comment. It's, it's an end to end process. This clicked for me this year when we started getting into projects where people were saying, we need you to update, taking our order confirmations from our suppliers because they're changing all the time. We keep getting updated ship dates and we need you to update that in our system of truth, our ERP, so that we can communicate to customers when they would actually expect to end uh, a ship expected ship date. So now we're talking improvements in customer experience from, you know, improving the process with suppliers. So to Morgan's point, that's a real world example of an end to end. And the only thing I just want to leave with is there, this whole thing made me think of a, a Gartner article we read once, which was winners are made in the turns, meaning they did a study. If, if you're improving in times of disruption, your peers aren't, and you'll see the benefits uh, as, as you come out of it. So this is, it's an opportunity for everyone. That is right. Uh, listen to Nick to be a supply chain superstar. A little tip of the hat to the carpenters there. All right. So Dan Reeve, who m moves at the speed of a thousand gazelles, one of our favorite That's phrases right. Dan <laughs> dropped on us uh, a while back. He's made a, a variety of popular appearances here. Dan, one key takeaway. And Greg, I'm coming to you next. Well, I was going to uh, mention what Greg mentioned. And um, so that Sorry. is... I'll give Greg, you know, it's very hard to control demand and know what's going on with demand. So therefore, I think folks are sort of building up inventory, just in, and, and also, you know, that's how it ties up capital and folks want cash just in case. So the, the, the plug is, yeah, you still need to be able to approve that AP invoice at the speed of a thousand gazelles if you want any chance of keeping your supplier happy or maybe earning earning some early paid discounts see i managed to get it in i, I always managed to get it in one way or the other <laughs> that's genius how you it do is. that right. it is well hey we've only just begun we've got so much uh, more to tackle uh, as part of this conversation but we'll have to save it for next time greg the infamous rap here i love your um i love i tell you we've really heard it from our entire panel here today but greg give us your final thought and then uh, we're going to sign off and get going yeah, this might be news to Nick and Morgan, but you and Dan know this could come from anywhere and here it comes. And that is that we have to understand that supply chain is an ecosystem and that our our consumers are the earth elements. They make us grow. They make us breathe. Right. They keep us warm. All of those things. And we have to enable them first. But as it's an ecosystem, you have to nurture every aspect of it. And that includes your suppliers, that includes your internal constituencies, and, and of course, your consumers, your customers. And you have to understand the interact interaction between all of those things. Inter-enterprise is the new commerce, whatever you want to call that. But you have to recognize that you do not stand alone in the supply chain. You are part of a greater whole, right? You're a tree in the forest. You're a whatever. You're the some companies are the nasty um, ivy, poison ivy that was growing up one of my trees that I just eliminated. But nonetheless, everyone is dependent on one another for their well-being, right? right? So we have to recognize that we have to think of the supply chain as an ecosystem, treat it as such. And when you do that, Morgan, to your your realization, when you do that. It is better for everyone, your consumers, your company, and your suppliers, and everyone else you interact with. Well said. Well said. Hey, uh, thanks for all the great feedback here, Jeremy, Tony. Tony also shares that Morgan Swink and uh, Dave are both rock stars at TCU. Asan, uh, Michael, great to have you here today. Hope you'll join us again from uh, the beautiful city of Memphis. Tennessee. And thanks for everyone else to join. I know we couldn't get everybody's comments here today, but folks, that's going to wrap it up. 
make sure you reach out to Morgan, Nick, Dan, and Greg. Uh, make sure you check out those Esker resources and Esker tours, which is back, baby. It's going to be a great event October 20th. Make sure you connect with Dr. Swink's team. I tell you, outstanding, churning out top talent that we we so desperately need in global business, but especially global supply chain. Greg, always a pleasure to knock this out with you. Big thanks to our production team and everyone that showed up and showed out. Uh, For now, though, we got to leave it here. Scott Luton challenging all of our teams. Hey, don't be words, not deeds. Be all about deeds, not words. Take action on, on what you've heard here from this incredible panel, right? Help your people out. You know, make it easy, make life easier, make their jobs easier and more rewarding. Take that action. But whatever you do, Scott Luton Challenge, do good, give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.